0: Amen. All right, so we are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We're in week 27, week 27, 27th message on the Gospel of John. And, um, you know, there's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. So you just kind of start doing the math here. We've got a little ways to go. We're going we're gonna to have a lot of messages by the time we're done with the Gospel of John. And so I've titled the message this morning, Unholy Ancestry. Unholy ancestry Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege of opening your word. God, it is an honor to be able to hear from your word here this morning. Lord, we know that your word is authoritative, it's truth. It is what you use to make us more like Christ. And I pray that that would be the case here this morning that as your word is, is preached, that you would make us all more like Jesus. Lord, convict us, change us, sanctify us. And God, I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Who's ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards was born in 1703 and died in 1758. He was an American evangelist, revivalist, preacher, pastor, and he's known for being used of God to spark the great awakening in America in the 1700s. And he preached a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, if many of you in, in college, even if it wasn't a Christian college, you had to, to read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and dissect it. And uh, he was a brilliant speaker and writer and preacher. And, and amazingly, in his life, the influence uh, for the gospel and for Christ carried down through his family tree. It's amazing, it, it, as it's been studied uh, hundreds of years after his, his death, uh, those that came after him have had great impact in history and, and became great people in society. And, and so there's a list that's been made and compiled of, of the different types of people and vocations and influence that um, the family tree that came down from Jonathan uh, Edwards, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, Edwards, in his family tree, there is 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, 30 judges, 66 doctors and a dean of a medical school, 80 holders of public office, three of those were U.S. senators, three mayors of large cities, three governors, one vice president of the United States, and one controller of the U.S. Treasury. Wow. What a family tree. What a, what a, what a legacy. What a what powerful influence of, from the gospel of Jesus Christ through uh, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. You know, we all have a family tree, don't we? We all have a, 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 an ancestry, and you go to ancestry.com because you want to know about your past and who came before you, the influence to you were. You know, I have a family tree as well. You know, my mom's maiden name is Abair. So I'm an abar on my mom's side, and, and on my grandmother's side, a Sheremy. So I have some I have some famous people in my ancestry. Let me tell you about somebody. My great-great-grandfather uh, was the brother of Bobby Aber's great grandfather. Bobby Aber is my fifth cousin. Bobby you know the Bobby Abair, the one that the, the the Cajun canon? You ever heard him on 870? You can't unhear him on 870. Bobby Aber. I've met Bobby Aber whenever I was uh, uh, 10 or 11. And uh, he had his Atlanta Falcons uh, hat on. And I had Atlanta Falcons jersey on. And my, my grandfather took him fishing. My grandfather was from Golden Meadows. And so my grandfather took Bobby Aber fishing. And it was a big deal to meet Bobby Aber. He's a big man, six foot five, big guy. And uh, he was playing for the Falcons back then. But we all have an ancestry, we all have a heritage, and, and we're going to talk about an unholy ancestry here this morning. And Jesus is having a conversation with the, the Pharisees, with the religious leaders, and, and we've been in this conversation for several weeks now in John chapter 8, and Jesus is about to really double down. He's going to poke the bear a little bit in this conversation, not a little bit, a whole lot. He's going to poke the bear, and he's going to speak some truth into the lives of these religious leaders and And as Jesus always does, he really cuts to the chase. He really speaks clearly when he speaks about truth. And and he's about to reveal to these religious leaders who they really are. And he's going to say some things that are pretty profound here. So let's look at the text. John 8, starting in verse 39 through 47. This is what we're going to cover. It says, They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children... You would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If you if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. But he, but he who sent me, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow. What a conversation. And it's only going to get more difficult. It's only going to increase the, the animosity between Jesus and these Pharisees and these religious leaders. And there's some really great details here that we're going to bring out of this text this morning, Unholy Ancestry. And and the the, the main point of this message is going to be this. Satan is the father of lies who continually seeks to keep people in spiritual darkness. Satan is the father of lies and he continually seeks, he's actively seeking to keep people in spiritual darkness darkness these pharisees these religious leaders they're thinking earthly abraham he's our father that's our ancestry we come from abraham and jesus says no if you came from abraham you would do what abraham did and you would seek me like abraham sought me but your father is the devil you don't come from abraham you come from the father who from the father who who your father is the devil And Jesus is speaking about spiritual realities. They're thinking of earthly realities. He's saying your father spiritually is Satan. And Satan, he is the father of all lies. And he is seeking to keep them in darkness. He's seeking to keep everyone in darkness. Everyone that will listen to him, he's seeking to keep in spiritual darkness. And we will look today specifically at the character and the nature of Satan. We're going to have a message. Three quarters of the message is going to be about Satan about his character, about his nature, and about his strategy of deception. And in the end, we're going to look at at Jesus and the call that he makes and and, and, and the call that he makes to all that are in spiritual darkness, that they would hear, that they would listen, that they would respond in faith to him. So this is what we're going to unpack. Who is Satan? Well, the first thing we see from this text is that Satan is a liar and what? The father of lies liar and he's a liar and the father of lies we're gonna we're gonna start in the middle of the text john eight forty four, where jesus describes satan he, he tells these religious leaders their father is the devil their father is satan and then he describes jesus describes satan who he is he calls him a liar and the father of lies verse 44 you are of your father the devil your will is to do his desires he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is he's continuing to press into this conversation and, and they are rejecting as he is pressing the reality of who they are and where they come from and their, their, their condition of the spiritual darkness. They're rejecting. He is pressing. He's not disengaging because they're rejecting. Actually, he's pressing in even as the rejection increases and and it's amazing to think about jesus when somebody is rejecting we typically move away don't we when people are rejecting us we move away when people are rejecting jesus what does he do here he presses in he's engaging in this conversation with these leaders that are actively rejecting him and a way in which he presses in is a way in which we probably wouldn't press in would we He presses in and he doubles down and he says, your father is the devil. Your father is Satan. If you ever took an evangelism class from Jesus, evangelism 101, how to evangelize those that are in spiritual darkness, many of us would probably not apply the first lesson that Jesus gave. And the lesson would be tell the people in spiritual darkness the truth about who their father is. You know, we believe, a lot of people believe that we're all children of God. Everyone is a child of God. And the Bible doesn't say that everyone is a child of God. It says in First John that those who are the children of God, they've been given the right to be called a child of God because they believe in Jesus. Now, what people mean when they say we're all children of God is they mean generally we're all valuable and precious in the sight of God because we're made in his image. But the truth that Jesus brings to bear here is that there's really only two types of people. Those that are the children of God, those that are the children of Satan, and, and that's not an easy pill to swallow. But this is what Jesus did. It is amazing to think about how clear and straightforward Jesus is in his confrontation of those who hate him. You know, the world, the world has a sentimental view of Jesus. They, they, they like the view of Jesus that we see in, in other portions of Scripture, not this view. They like the, the view of Jesus as somebody who heals and someone who feeds and someone who has compassion on the lowly and on the outcasts those who who he invites sinners to to be uh, uh to, to eat with him and to dine with him he goes into their house and he sits with them and, and it's just a sentimental view of jesus and sometimes even non-believers will quote jesus and but they don't really like this view of jesus you know there is a a view of jesus that people will say well give me the view of jesus that doesn't tell me i'm wrong i'll take that jesus not the Jesus who tells me that I'm wrong. I don't want that Jesus. Give me the one who, 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 just, who, who, who is this, this nice cultural Jesus who affirms and who loves and is full of compassion. But truly the cultural Christianity, cultural Christianity only has influence as long as you silence Jesus by not preaching what he preached. Did you hear that? Cultural Christianity truly can only have influence as long as you silence Jesus. But if you let Jesus out, you let the lion out, and you let him roar, and you let him speak truth, you let him divide and separate between truth and error, cultural Christianity fades away. And those that have cultural Christian pulpits, if they would really let Jesus out as he really is, a man of compassion but a man of truth, the cultural view of Jesus doesn't last. Jesus called these people sons of hell. It's amazing. It's amazing. Then he describes who their father is. Okay, you're a a son of Satan. Your father's the devil, and here is who he is. How did Jesus describe Satan? Very, Very simple, very straightforward. Three ways in which he described Jesus. Who is Satan? He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning. What what does that mean? I think it can mean a couple things. I I, I think that that he's a murderer from the beginning, and, and you can look back in Genesis, can't we? That through the temptation of Satan to Adam and Eve, Satan killed the spiritual life of Adam and Eve, plunged them into spiritual darkness and spiritual death. It could also be a picture of the first physical murder in Scripture after Adam and Eve fell, Cain, and Abel the children of Adam and Eve, Cain killed Abel, Genesis chapter 4. And I think you can also, when it says he's a murderer from the beginning, that he is a murderer, I think it's, it's the act of seeking to murder Jesus that, that these people have, these religious leaders, they're actively seeking to eliminate Jesus. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he's influencing those who hate Jesus to want to destroy Jesus. So he's a murderer. Who else is Satan? Satan, this is who he is. He doesn't stand in the truth, and this word stand, is, it comes from the idea of a foundation. The foundation of a house It's what, what you would stand on. It's the most important part of a building, of a structure. It is the foundation. And when it says that Satan doesn't stand in the truth, it means that foundationally his stance is not in truth. His stance is on, is on lies. He doesn't stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him, Jesus said. Doesn't stand on the truth because there's no truth in him. And then what else does it say? It says that he's a liar and the father of lies. He's a murderer, didn't stand in the truth, and he's a liar. He's the father of lies. Satan, this is what it means. Satan, by his very nature, is a liar. And the foundation of all lies. So it's kind of like this. Here's the contrast. By contrast with Jesus, Jesus is the truth, Satan is the liar. Jesus is the truth, the ultimate truth. Satan is the liar, the ultimate liar, the originator of lies. You see the contrast. This is Jesus describing Satan. Where else do we see this in Scripture? Well, we see all over Scripture that that Satan is a liar, and he only knows how to operate in, in lies. I just want to say this. Before we look at other sections of Scripture where we see Satan and his lies, whenever you see a lie in the culture around you, when you see lies, you know where it comes from, don't you? It comes from Satan. The source is hell. When you see a lie that is contrary to the truth, to scripture, in culture, in the world, its source is hell. It's Satan himself. Where do we see this in scripture? Satan rebelled against God. Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse three, and another sign appeared in heaven. This is, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, and on his head, seven diadems, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, speaking of the, the angels, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And the great dragon was thrown down, the eight, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down and his angels with him. You see in Genesis chapter three, we just referenced it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He lied to her. He said, you can eat of any tree and you will not die. He said, what was he saying when he said you will not surely die? He was saying this, God said this? But it's not true. You will not surely die. And what happened to Adam and Eve? They were going to live forever, were they not? Before sin? But they rebelled against God and they died. Satan's a liar from the beginning. What about in the end, Revelation, or or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, not in the end, but in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right before his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, Satan twists scripture. He takes, he quotes Psalm 91 and twists its meaning and tempts Jesus to test God. Matthew 4, then the devil took Jesus to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He quotes scripture Psalm 91. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And, 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 and Satan is twisting scripture and telling Jesus, cast yourself down. God will protect you and take care of you. In violation of God's word, that also says that you should not put God, the Lord your God, to the, to the test. And then in the end, Revelation chapter 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released. After the thousand year reign of Christ, you see in Revelation, Satan will be released from his prison. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of So do you see it? Scripture is abundantly clear. Satan is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning, since before creation, when he rebelled against God, was thrown out of heaven, and he deceived a third of the angels. He's been a liar at creation. He was lying and twisting Scripture to, to tempt Jesus, and in the end, he will continue to tempt until he is finally defeated and cast into the lake of fire with all those who have believed his lies and have rejected the ultimate truth. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. And his continual plan is to deceive nations and to deceive leaders of nations and to deceive people of nations. To deceive those listening to Jesus, even right in this conversation, he's trying to keep them deceived. So that's the first thought that we see. Satan is a liar, straight from the text. Secondly, Satan is actively seeking to deceive. He's a liar, but he's active in his his seeking to deceive. Deceived, look back at the text, John 8, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Satan is actively seeking to deceive. He's a hard worker. He works hard at deceiving. There was a, there was a, a, a grandson who came up to his grandmother. grandmother. Grandmother would tell the grandson very often that you always got to try to find one good thing in people. Just find one. You may not be able to find very many good things, but just find one good thing to praise about people. So the grandson came up to the grandma and said, Grandma, I I know you said to always find one good thing about people, but I found someone that it's not possible to find one good thing. She's like, oh, really? Who's that? Satan. Satan. Grandmother's thinking, oh, boy, he may have got me. She leans back, starts rocking her rocking chair, and it hit her. Oh, it's not true. We can commend one thing about Satan, at least—he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. He works hard at deception, and this is what we see. He's actively working hard to deceive, and you see this. And Jesus asks this question: Why do you not understand what I say? And th- these religious leaders—they're they're, again—they're pointing back to Abraham as their father, they're saying Abraham's our father. And Jesus is saying that's not possible. Because if you were truly Abraham's children, you would emulate Abraham. Again, Jesus is driving at spiritual realities. Abraham, what did Abraham do? You seek to kill me. Abraham did not. What did Abraham do? He obeyed. He believed. Romans 4, he believed he had faith in God. And Romans 4 said that that faith in God was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. It also says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder. Is God. Abraham had faith in God. And Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and he's telling them, You don't have faith in God like Abraham did, because if you did, you would listen to me and you would not seek to kill me. You would not seek to kill me. Jesus is saying, in essence, to these leaders of the Jews, You're placing your hope in your physical ancestry. You're placing your hope in Abraham, in your physical ancestry, in your ancestors. But your spiritual ancestry is what really matters. Do you see that? This is why Jesus is telling them, you're of your father, the devil. He's telling them, your father's the devil because they're placing their hope in their physical ancestry. You know, we, we, we do the same thing here today. We, we can be tempted to do that, can't we? That we can place our hope in our parents', and, in our parents faith and our grandparents' faith. And, and my, my, my grandpa went to this church. My grandpa was this and believed that and followed Christ. And so, so, I, so, so, so if, if he really followed Christ, and maybe I'll get a little credit because of, of how he lived and, and we, we can bank on someone else's faith. And, and, G, and this is what Jesus is exposing in these religious leaders. He's saying, you're looking at Abraham, but I'm telling you, that's really not your father. Abraham really is. He may be your physical father, but the the ancestry that really matters is your spiritual ancestry. And your spiritual father is Satan. Quit placing your hope in your physical ancestry of what they did and how they followed God and how they followed the law. You're deceived. We can easily do the same thing. Abraham, however, believed God and obeyed. You do not believe, he's telling him, you do not believe God because you don't listen to me. And the leaders get angry at Jesus, don't they? And this is when they lash out. Now, now, now notice, notice Jesus says, your father's the devil. They say, well, well, no, Abraham's our father. And so then Jesus confronts them. And when he says that their father's the devil, they're like, okay, you're going to start talking about who, whose ancestry is holy and whose ancestry is not. They lashed out at Jesus and tried to discredit him. What did they say to Jesus? They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. What were they saying to Jesus? They were saying, wait a minute, you were born in fornication. We know that your mother got pregnant out of wedlock. We know that you were born and, and you were born and, and that pregnancy came whenever your mother Mary wasn't, wasn't married. Do you see that? He confronts them about their spiritual legacy and ancestry, and they start lashing out and accusing him of being born in sin. One commentary says it like this, their mocking statement was undoubtedly a disparaging reference to the controversy surrounding Jesus's birth. In other words, they were implying that his birth, unlike theirs, was illegitimate because they didn't believe that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe in the virgin birth. They didn't believe that Jesus had eternal origins. And so they were claiming that he was illegitimately born. This is a reflection of their heart in this cutting remark by the leaders of the Jews. They were revealing how they really felt about Jesus. This is how we really feel about you. You say we're a son of Satan. Well, we'll, we say that you're a son of illegitimate birth. And in essence, what they're saying is, is how dare you confront us? How dare you confront us? You question our heritage. You were born out of wedlock. You're an illegitimate child. Your heritage is sinful. And their hearts were hard towards Jesus and his words. But notice what Jesus says in response to that. In response to them questioning his physical birth, what does Jesus say? Why do you not understand what I say? Why do you not get it? Why don't you understand? Have you ever felt that way about some people? Yeah. You felt that way, right? Why don't they get it? They should be able to get it, but they don't get it. You know, Jesus answers the question, why? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. He says, why do you not understand what I say? And he gives the answer to the question. He says, it's because you cannot bear to hear my words. And the and the question I ask after that is why can't they bear to hear his words? I mean, think about all the people that they should want to listen to, right? Think about all the people that they should want to listen to. These leaders should want to listen to Jesus. What has he demonstrated in his life up to this point? That he is a compassionate, merciful teacher and leader. That he's from God. That he's doing miracles and signs and wonders. And if The crowd would want to follow Jesus. Why wouldn't the leaders want to listen? So there's an underlying reason why, and here's the underlying reason why the words of Christ have no place in them. It's because Satan is a deceiver. What is obviously true about Christ, these men cannot see it because Satan has deceived them. And often we ask that question about Our friends, our family members, our our co-workers, why don't they see it? Why don't they understand it? It's not because God has not revealed himself. It's because Satan has them deceived. Satan's a deceiver. He is actively seeking to deceive people. Where do we see this in Scripture? It's the Scripture that Brother Manny read, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what we see in Scripture. Therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's an amazing thought right there, the gospel would be veiled. People can't see it. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, lowercase g, Satan, the devil, the God of this world, who's the ruler, the principalities and powers in the heavenly realm, but also that influence in the world, Satan is over that. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to do what? To keep them from seeing. Jesus says, why don't you understand what I say? Because Satan has blinded your eyes from seeing who I really am. Blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. People that are unbelievers cannot see the glory of Christ. They can't see his beauty, his glory, his power because Satan has blinded them. And he's actively seeking to deceive and to keep people from seeing Jesus to keep them from seeing Jesus how does he do it though what is his strategy how does Satan actively keep people blinded I I believe there are many ways in which Satan actively seeks to keep people blinded but this is what I believe this is active strategy he keeps people focused on themselves I mean if you think about the very first temptation in in the garden what, what was the temptation Temptation was to believe yourself and what you think and your logic and your truth over God's truth. Satan actively has been seeking to keep people focused on themselves and to worship themselves, to look inward. That's Romans 1, is it not? What do people do? Romans 1 tells us people will exchange the truth about God and worship God. The creature instead of the creator. So what is the, what is the worship of the creature? What does it look like? It's self-worship. It's self-idolatry. It's the worship of self. It's the worship of self. What, what, what creature do we worship over God? We worship ourselves. That's the creature we worship over the God, over Christ. We worship ourselves. And there are many philosophies in the world today that, that, that demonstrate that. Have you ever heard of these popular worldviews? Popular worldviews of self-worship? Here's a few of them. Trust your heart. Some of you may even believe that. Some of you as Christians may even have bought into some of these lies. Just trust your heart. Just trust your heart. Or, or how, how about this one? Go with your gut. My gut often brings me to McDonald's and I should not go with my gut. Right? Right, but what's the premise? What's the idea? Just trust your intuition. Trust your feelings. Trust your, trust your desires. Trust your heart. Go with your gut. What about this one? Do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. There's a lot of things that make me happy that I probably should not do. Right? How about this one? This is a common one. Been around for a long time. If it feels good, it must be good. If it feels good, it, it must be good. <laughs> That is, that is, a, that, is a, that is not true. What about this one? Live your truth. Isn't that true? We've talked about this before, live your truth. And so now, now, now you have a truth and I have a truth and you have a truth and you have a truth and, and there really is no objective truth that we can base our life on. And so these are the philosophies of the world. It's the, it's the worship of self. And, 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 and seriously, when you think about the ones I just read, trust your heart, go with your gut, do what makes you happy. If it feels good, it must be good. Live your truth. You know what these are? These are the philosophies that are destroying our culture. Look around. People are trusting their heart, their going with their guts. They're doing what makes them happy. They're doing what feels good. And they're living their truth. And you look at the results in our world today, in our culture. It's destroying our culture today. The worship of self. And here's the reason why it's destroying. It will continue to destroy us from the inside. Because we will consume our way into destruction. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, followed these same philosophies, and in short, this is what I think is happening. when self-gratification, when self-gratification is the highest form of morality, we will hurt everyone that gets in our way. When self-gratification is the highest form of morality, it's my truth, it's my way, it's my view of the world, and my view of the world is that I want what I want so I can be happy, so I can be fulfilled. When that is the highest form of morality, we will destroy anyone that gets in our way. And you see it even physically where people will murder others because they got in their way of from, from, from receiving self Gratification and having their life their way. Murderous thoughts can even arise out of that. This is how Satan is actively seeking and blinding the minds of unbelievers. He's lulling them to sleep by the deceptions of the enemy. Lulled to sleep. People are lulled to sleep by the deceptions of the enemy. So here's here's some questions we have to ask ourselves. Okay. So so we're in church now, right? You're 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 believers. There may be some unbelievers that are in here. But for the most part, I think we're all believers here, right? So, so now we're talking about the world, but what about us? Here's some questions we have to ask ourselves, because I think this, this can be true of us. As a disciple of Jesus, am I buying into the philosophies of the world? You know, we'll take the philosophy of the world, and we'll bring it over into church, won't we? Right? And, and, and we'll we want to create a man-centered gospel, we want to create a gospel that's about us and our emotions and our feelings and what we receive instead of the true gospel, which is a, a gospel that is about Christ and his glory being seen in the earth and in the world, right? Have we bought into the, philosophy, the philosophies and the man-centered philosophy, philosophies of the world? What about this question? Have I incrementally allowed this self-saturated culture to influence my thinking? I know I have at times. I have at times. I, you know, I can see it in my impatience. I can see it in the, way in, which, in the way in which I might interact with my kids or with my wife and getting angry quick because I don't get what I want when I want it, right? We can all be like that, can't we? So consumed with this self-saturated world that we buy into their philosophies and their mindset, right? We, we live in this instant world where we get everything we want right away at the click of our thumb. We can order anything we want from Amazon or wherever or from any other store that we can get what we want and whenever we don't get it, when we want it, as quick as we want it, and we get angry, we get impatient, we lash out, it's because we have incrementally bought in to the self-centered, self-gratification mindset of the world, have we not? What about when you're driving? That'll, it'll rear its ugly head right then, won't it? It's, it's difficult to drive today whenever you don't get your way. How the other day, I I was not acting like Christ. I had this person who was behind me. I was in line, and there was another person in front of me. And the other person in front of me was the one who was not going. And um, the person behind us kept honking, kept honking. And I know they were honking at them, but it felt like they were honking at me. And so I got mad. And so the car in front of me finally went. And so I turned left. Now, they still made it through the light. They did. But thank God they didn't have a gun, or at least they didn't use it. That would have been a dumb way to die, wouldn't it have been? Truth is standing right in front of the leaders of the Jews. And all they could say was, You're the son of fornication. Wow. How did this happen? They were blinded by their sinful desires. And they were blinded by the God of this present age. Ephesians 6 tells us this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, put on the full armor of God. So whenever these philosophies of the world come to influence our thinking that we may be able to stand in the evil day and to resist incrementally being absorbed into the cultural mindset, may it never be. Satan is a liar. He is actively seeking to deceive those who will listen to his lies. And lastly, this morning, Jesus is calling out to anyone who has ears to hear. He's calling out to anyone who has ears to hear. Let's look back at the text, last two verses. Verse 46 Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them that you're not of God. Jesus tells these deceived Jewish leaders, if I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. If I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. So the opposite of that is true. What he's saying to them, if I lied to you, you would believe me. Isn't that what we see in our world? People will receive lies all the time. Just lie to them and they'll believe it they're deceived they're blinded jesus is saying because i tell you the truth you do not listen and notice what jesus says this is this is such an important part here we've seen who satan is we see his character, his nature he's a deceiver but we see even in the middle of all of this rejection against him jesus is standing there and he makes this statement he says whoever is of god hears whoever is of god hears think about this jesus is looking at the ones that are about to influence Rome to put him to death. And he is still, I believe still, even in his rebuke, he's crying out to them to listen. God is calling, God is speaking. And he's saying, listen, if if you would listen, you would be of God. If you're of God, you will listen to me. You will hear my words. God is calling, he's speaking, and he's spoken today through his Son, and he's spoken today, he is, Jesus was speaking then, but he's speaking today through his cross. His cross is speaking today. But will people listen? Hebrews 3, it says, as it is said to Israel today, if you hear his voice, do not harden. If you hear, if you are of God, if you, will, you will be of God. If you hear and God is calling, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You know, I, Isaiah 11 Speaks of Jesus as a spirit of wisdom and understanding. You guys ever read the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter one, and wisdom is crying out. I want to read this section of wisdom crying out. This is Christ crying out. He's with those that are rejecting, and he's crying out to them, and he's crying out to us today. Listen to wisdom. Proverbs one, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks, how long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? Doesn't that sound like Jesus in John 8? Why don't you understand what I am saying? Do, do you see that? How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord? They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Wisdom cries out to the simple. Christ is calling out to those who were deceived. Wisdom cries out to the simple-minded, to those who have closed their mind to the wisdom from God. Jesus is calling out to all who will have ears to hear. Will you listen? And I believe with these Pharisees, it's, he's doing the same thing. And, and we'll see here as we conclude, it, he's doing the same thing. He wants them to hear, to have ears to hear, have ears to hear. We all have ears, but do we have ears to hear? They didn't have ears to hear, but... Do, God's calling out, do we have ears to hear? Are we going to let the truth go in one ear and out the other? In one ear and out the other? You ever, you ever corrected somebody? It's like correcting someone who is physically hearing what you say but their heart's not listening. You ever had that, that, that pleasure of correcting somebody who's hearing but not, but not hearing? What are some often physical reactions that you get when someone does not want to listen with their heart what do you get i've gotten it a few times rolling of the eyes rolling of the eyes head down no eye contact argumentative they're hearing but they're not listening with their heart whoever hears What about justifying their actions? You're confronting, you're confronting, but they're justifying their actions. Head down, rolling their eyes, argumentative justification. Listen to what Hebrews 3 says about Israel not listening. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in in their heart. And I think this is what's happening with these religious leaders of the Jews. They've gone astray in their heart. And Jesus, even in him telling them, listen, even in him telling them that their father is the devil and that they're sons of Satan, it is his compassion that is motivating him to say that it's not anger, it's not hatred towards them, it is actually his compassion. Why? Because he's wanting to wake them up. He's wanting them to see who they really are. You always go astray in your heart. Would that you would hear. Would that you would listen. But Satan has them locked up and bound up and standing right in front of the Savior of the world. These leaders of Israel's continued to go astray in their heart. And they would not listen they would not listen you know we're going to get to the conclusion of John 8 here next week but really the conclusion of this dialogue between Jesus and these religious leaders the conclusion of this message and the conclusion of this dialogue really happens later you can fast forward to the week before Jesus's crucifixion and death arrest and crucifixion and death Jesus laments over Israel and the rejection of him. And you see the highlight of it in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, he calls out the Pharisees. It's the seven woes of the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you, you, you look holy on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones, and, and you make all your proselytes son of, of, a son of hell just like you are. And he rebukes and he rebukes and he rebukes, and then, It culminates in his great lament over Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I can see Jesus looking over Jerusalem, looking over the city, crying out over those who were not listening. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You heard, but you didn't hear. You listened with your ears, but your heart was far from me. Your heart went astray, and I hear the compassion of Christ even in his rebuke in John 8. You see it in Matthew 23. He wanted them to turn. How often I would have gathered you, but you weren't willing. And, and, and verse 38, we don't have it for the screens, but it says, See, as a result of you not willing to turn and to listen and to hear, your house is left to you desolate. The end of rejection of Christ is desolation and emptiness. When we reject Christ, we're empty. When we seek to live through the philosophies of the world, self-worship, self-gratification, and we reject the words of God, the words of Christ, the end of it is desolation. It's emptiness. And ultimately, it's spiritual death. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about Matthew 23 and and the call of Christ how often I would have gathered. I would have, I would have, but you would not. I would have, but you would not. What did Wiersbe say? He says, "I, I would have, you would not, summarizes the tragedy of final rejection of the truth. There is no argument here about divine sovereignty and human responsibility, for both are included right here. God could not force his salvation on the people, neither could he change the consequences of their stubborn rejection. You will not come to me that you may have life. Wow. You know it's interesting? As we'll see next week, this rejection of Jesus culminates in murderous desire, finding its way into the hands of these Pharisees as they bend down to pick up rocks to stone Jesus. The end of chapter eight. I would have, but you would not. I would have, but you would not. So we end with one one final question before we close in prayer and we sing together. One final question. We end with this question. It's really, it's really simple. You know, you know, you can have life figured out. Did you know that? Some of you think, I just can't figure out life. It's too complicated, too much difficulty, too much suffering, too much pain. too much, I mean, it's all, com- it's all confusing and I, I, I can't figure out life. No, no. really, life is really simple. It comes down to one question. And here's the question we end with. It's really this simple. Will we listen to Christ or will we listen to Satan? Will we listen to Christ, or will we listen to Satan? It's that simple. And ultimately, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Jesus is willing, but are you? He would gather you to himself, but are you willing? Will you say yes? Will we listen to Christ, or will we listen to Satan? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that we would not be like the hard-hearted Pharisees, that we would not buy into our own self-centered philosophy, that we would not buy into the lies of the culture, that we would not buy into the deceptions of the enemy, Satan. I pray that those here this morning that could possibly be here that have not ultimately received Christ as their Savior, have not looked to him have not looked to Christ for forgiveness. I pray today that they would come out of the darkness and they would embrace the light of the gospel of Christ and that they would reject sin in this world and that they would receive Christ by faith. But I pray for all of us as believers here today, I pray that we would listen to Christ. I pray that we would not listen to to the philosophies of this culture that are motivated by Satan, that we would not incrementally become deceived just like these Pharisees were. I pray, God, that we would, would listen to you each and every day. We would be in your word and we would let the word of God dwell in us, be at home in our hearts, that we would let your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we would be guided by your truth and your word each and every day we would look to Christ alone for our satisfaction. Christ alone for our peace. Christ alone for our joy. We would look to Christ alone to be our all in all. And we would see the lives of the enemy for what they are. But they're lies. They don't fulfill what they offer. But may we look to Christ alone.